Well, welcome to church. It's good to see you, uh, especially if you're visiting with us. Very warm welcome to you. Um, I've got some good friends in the service today. Where are David and Abby Aitken? Where are you guys? At the back is Abby taking the wee ones to kids' church. Let's hear it for Dave. Yay! Uh, David and Abby lead a great church in Dundee uh, that is it's an, it's an awesome church. They're really doing a great job of impacting people from an unchurched background. Uh, and I've been up there a couple of times and they're good friends. So it's great to have them here. I, I'm not going to get a chance to catch up with them today, but I want you all to catch up with them today. Uh, so please make sure you say hi to them. Also, my dad's here and my sister's somewhere as well. Give us a wave, dad. Yay! Woo. And uh, my sister from Guernsey's here with her couple of little ones. Um, so she's dropping them off at kids' church as well. So... Great. Well, if you're, if you're a visitor, really warm welcome to you. It's great to have you here at church. We take time every Sunday to look at the most important person, the most exciting person ever, Jesus Christ. And uh, his word, the Bible, is the most amazing truth you're ever going to encounter in your life. And it really can literally provide you with a foundation for your entire life. So we love taking time to dig into the Bible. So today we're going to be looking at, we're working our way through Matthew's Gospel and we're in, the, in this great sermon, the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, preached by the most famous man ever, Jesus Christ. And uh, today we're going to be looking at your influence in life. Okay, there was a minister, he was called into the hospital because things had got to a critical stage. John was very ill in hospital and lying there in the sickbed. So the minister rushed in, got to the side of the sickbed and just wanted to make sure he's okay. And it's strange because when he was there, just in, the, just in the minutes that the minister was there, John's condition deteriorated so rapidly that he, he, was, he was gasping for air and he, he kind of was looking for a, a pen and paper to write something. He managed to get a pen and paper, he wrote a few words, and then he died. The minister was absolutely distraught because he'd come to hopefully help the guy. And there, within a minutes of being there, the guy died. So in the kerfuffle, and the doctors came in, people tried to resuscitate him, and the family members gathered around. In, in, the, in the kind of kerfuffle of the moment, the minister folded up the piece of paper and put it in his jacket pocket and then forgot all about it. Anyway, the, the funeral took place a few days later, and the minister turned up at the funeral. And as he was there conducting the service, he was just about to have the coffin lowered into the ground, and he suddenly realized, I've got John's last words in my pocket. So he said, folks, just before I do this, I suddenly remember I've got the same jacket on as I had in the hospital, and I have John's last words here in my pocket. So he pulled out the piece of paper and it says, get off my oxygen tube. (laughs) What influence do you have in this world? What impact do you make in other people? This is what we're looking at today. Uh, This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? You are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and place it under a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Jesus undoubtedly is the greatest influencer this world has ever seen. In just three years of ministry, he has impacted this world more than any other person has, even given their entire lifespan. No one other person has impacted the world more than Jesus Christ. And here, the most greatest influencer in the world is speaking to human beings, and he's saying, I want you to be an influencer. I believe you were born to have an influence. John C. Maxwell says that in your lifetime, you will directly or indirectly impact the lives of at least 10,000 other people. You're a major influencer, whether it be for good or whether it be for bad. Jesus, the world's greatest influencer, says you're an influencer. Jesus uses these great analogies. He talks about salt and he talks about light. He says you're the salt of the earth. He says you're the light of the world. These two things, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, they tell us something about us and they tell us something about God. They tell us something about us and they also tell us something about the world we're living in. So let's look at salt first of all. Why does this world need salt? Jesus said, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. There's a positive bit in it, but it also has a negative connotation. Why does the world need salt? Jesus is here has understood what salt was all about. We do a little bit, but more so in that time. You see, salt has had many great uses over the years. In Jesus' time, salt was incredibly valuable. It was the case that the word salary that we use comes from the use of salt in Jesus' time. Roman soldiers were given an allowance to buy salt, and that was called their salary. It was a valuable commodity. Until recently, the common currency in Ethiopia was bars of salt. It is the case that in ancient slaves in Egypt, uh, sorry, not old slaves, in ancient Egypt, slaves were bartered for and you paid salt to buy a slave, from which we get the term someone's not worth their salt. Um, salt was expensive. Salt was valuable. So people understood when Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, they understood it communicates value. He also, it also in that culture, it re- represented purity. It was in the Old Testament that God instructed the children of Israel to mix the sacrifices with salt. Uh, it's also the case that the Greeks uh, referred to salt, they called it theon, which means divine. That's why they referred to salt. It was also the case that salt represents preservation. It's a preservative. In the days before refrigeration, again, we can't fully relate to this, but in the ancient world when Jesus lived, in the days before refrigeration, people used salt. They, they rubbed salt on the meat, and that would stop decay. It would preserve the meat. It literally is an antibacterial agent. It inhibits the advancement of bacteria. These days, people add salt when they're making bread because it controls the expansion of the yeast, the rate at which the yeasts multiply. It is an inhibitor for anti, is inhibitor to bacteria. So it's a prever, preserver, but also salt was used throughout the ancient world as a sign of friendships. We hear of salt covenants. We hear that referred to in, in, the, in the Old Testament. And it was the case in the Arab races that if you partook of salt with someone, you could do that person no harm throughout your life, and vice versa. It was a covenant of salt. 
And in our day and age, we understand that salt is used to flavor things. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he was talking about you're called to be an influencer. You're called to have an influence in many ways. First, he says you have value. You represent a covenant God. You're expensive. You add flavor. You're here to preserve the world. You are pure, and you're a healing agent. You're antibacterial. You're here to make a difference, to cleanse this world. So that's what it says positively about you. But the fact that he had to say it says something negatively about the world. The fact is, why does the world need salt other than this world is decaying? Now that goes against the worldview that's predominant today. You go back 100 years ago, 120 years ago, you'll remember, that in the lead up to the the turn of the 20th century, philosophers and poets and secular historians and leaders, there was a huge air of optimism in the air. People were talking so positively about the modern day developments. Modernism was was in its emergent stage. They were talking about how the science advancements and technological advancements and knowledge advancements, things were just, there was an acceleration of human knowledge base. There was an acceleration of our ability to use techniques to cure people. There was an acceleration of our ability to use machinery to help the human race. Everything was on the advance. Um, Evolution, not, not, not biological evolution, but philosophical evolution, the thought process was that human beings are getting better and better. Their hope was that the golden age was coming. The next century, the the 1900s on to the millennium, that century would be a century where there would be an advancement of technology. We would be curing the diseases that are killing us. There would be a ceasing to wars as people start to gain education and understanding. But tragically, that century began with a first and a second world wars. And it completely dashed the hopes and the optimism of the world. The reality is, God's worldview is entirely different about our world. God's worldview is that our world, instead of advancing in a positive way, rather, it's regressing. That's the Bible's worldview. It's decaying. The Bible's view of history is this, that at the beginning, God created a perfect world. Humankind turns against God. And ever since then, there has been a regression, not progression. And it's going down rather than going up. You see, progress is nothing just to do with knowledge base or technology. Progress, eternally speaking, is to do with morality. And the reality is, the human race is going down. This is actually scientific as well. The second law of thermodynamics talks about It's entropy. It talks about things going from a state of perfection to a state of decay. And that's exactly what we observe in our world. I don't believe it's because God wants the world to not succeed. But it's because of that that God calls us to be the salt of the earth. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, "The the world is bad, sinful, and evil. Any optimism regarding, regard, with regard to it is not only thoroughly unscriptural, but it's actually 
been falsified by history itself. The reality is, it's not that God doesn't want the best for the world, but the world, as it walks away from God, is heading down. Now, we've got lots of reasons to be optimistic. I'm a very optimistic guy, but my optimism and my ultimate hope isn't in a world that's going to improve itself. My optimism and ultimate hope is in a God who loves this world and who is touching human beings' lives one life at a time in this world. Next question. So why does the world need salt? Next question is why does the world need light? Jesus said in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now here's some qualities that light has. The fact is you can't actually see light. You can only see the effects of light reflecting on things. Light travels at a constant speed in all directions all at once. Nothing travels faster than light. It takes 3.1, sorry, 1.3 seconds for light to travel from the moon, and it takes eight minutes for light to travel from the sun to us. So light that's hitting us now left the moon 10 minutes ago in my sermon. The absence of light is called darkness. The fact is that darkness cannot exist where there is light. Light always overcomes darkness. And light, we understand, is essential for life. Plant life, human life, we need daylight to exist. That's why we're living in a very barren place called Scotland. There is a thing called the sun. And the last important fact about light is how many Irish people does it take to change a light bulb? 100, one to hold the bulb and 99 to turn the house. Last important facts about light. Next thing I wanna say about light is this, God is light. That's what the Bible describes God as. First John 1, verses five to 10. Now, we've gone from talking about physical light, so we're talking scientifically about physical light, but we understand that Jesus is drawing a parallel with the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, God is likened to light. It says, 1 John 1, verses 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If you've ever gone through something in life and you think, is God good? You can rest assured, in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, I'm not giving you an explanation of why you went through what you went through. I'm not giving you an answer to your why question. I'm just saying one thing that is clear is that in him there is no darkness at all. He is consistent. He is solid. You can base your life and entire future on him. In him there is no light at all. Why does the world need light? Because the world, according to the Bible, is in darkness. When the Bible talks about darkness in the world, morally speaking, it's talking about um, morality, and it's talking about lack of understanding of God. John Calvin put it this way. He said, there is no greater darkness than the ignorance of God. In Romans chapter 121, it talks about ignorance of God being darkness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Human beings trying to figure life out by themselves, ignoring the God who gave them life in the first place, kind of factoring him out of the equation, giving reasons why they they don't need to acknowledge him or follow him, 
according to the Bible, that's dark thinking. It darkens. Isaiah 9 verse 2 prophesies about the time when Jesus came into the world and he said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And in those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. There it talks about the shadow of death. This moral darkness leads to death. Not just death as in uh, death, but death as in, you know, things don't work out in life. Things kind of corrupt. But the good news is, and Isaiah alludes to this, when he talks about a light has dawned, he was talking about the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. That God, who is light, entered into this world. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he came into this world, not to show up our darkness and make us feel bad about ourselves, although he did that. But that wasn't his primary agenda. His agenda was to die in our place, on the cross. He took my sin, my wretchedness, your sin, your wretchedness, and he died in your place on the cross. He was your substitute. He took the hit for you. So instead of you getting hell, you get heaven. Instead of you getting punishment, you get forgiveness. Instead of you carrying your sin, you get given righteousness for all eternity. So that's what God did for you on the cross. That's what Jesus' coming was all about. And on the third day, he rose again. He's alive now, and he's here now in this room. He wants to save you. If you don't know him today, yield your life to him. Give him everything. So we see this world is dark, therefore it needs light. So what's the, uh, I'm going to take the second half of this message just to answer the question. What is God's solution to a dark and decaying world? I've got six things for you. I know six isn't a good number to have. It's always a bit more spiritual to have seven or three or something. I understand six is kind of, it resembles six, six, six. I understand, right? But no, it's, it's, this is all I can come up with. So six things that will help you. Number one, be a transformed person. Jesus said, verse 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth. 14, you are the light of the world. I know. (laughs) So the question is, who's the you? Who's he speaking about? Okay, Jesus was, this was the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had just climbed up on a mountainside. It was a natural amphitheater. Huge crowds had gathered on the hillside, and he stands up and he addresses the crowds. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So who's the, who's the you? It's the crowds. Who are the crowds? Well, typically, they weren't the rich and famous of society. Typically, the crowds that followed Jesus were often the rejects. People who, people others overlooked. It said in Luke 7, verse 34, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's, Jesus got called a glutton and a drunkard because he ate their food and went to their parties and he hung out with sinners, a friend of tax collectors and sinners and people from Gorgie. <laughs> we understand that Jesus had gathered a crowds that maybe the religious had rejected. So rejects like you and me. And Jesus says to that kind of crowds, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. To those who don't feel qualified, he says, you're here to be an influence. You're here to make a difference. God has a purpose for your life. 
Then he was also speaking to, in among that crowd, there was the disciples, the 12. The disciples, the 12, went on to be world changers. They were fishermen. One of them was a political zealot, he was called, a revolutionary. One of them had had a money issue. One of them had been a tax collector, Matthew, who wrote Matthew's gospel. He'd been a tax collector, utterly despised, taking money from his own people, the Jews, on behalf of the Romans. Despised and hated, often rejected by their families. That was Jesus' motley crew. And yet these people went on to spread the Christian message, the message about Jesus Christ, God's forgiveness, and they literally turned the world upside down. They impacted Asia, Africa, and Europe within one generation. These were courageous men. They went from being nobodies, rejects of societies, but God used them very powerfully. They were the salt of the earth. They were the light of the world. Statistically, within 280 years, of Jesus' death and resurrection, Christianity became the world's dominant religion. This is in a Roman Empire where there was an estimated 7 million Christians in a Roman Empire which had estimated the Roman Empire was 50 million people. 7 million Christians in among 50 million people in the Roman Empire. This is 7 million people who became Christians when it was not easy to become a Christian. They faced martyrdom and threats and aggression against them. So Jesus stands up and speaks to a random crowd and some select 12 and he says, you're the salt of the earth. And they were. They're the light of the world. And they did. They impacted. So he was speaking to them. I believe he's speaking to all citizens of heaven. Jesus is just, we're, we're, we're focusing in today on Verses 12 onwards, Matthew 5, sorry, Matthew 5, 13 onwards. But the verses that have gone before it, Jesus, and we've, we've been working our way through that on the Sunday mornings. If, if you've missed them, go download the MP3s. We've been taking time to look at what has been called the Beatitudes. And in them, Jesus is talking about citizens of heaven. And he's, this is what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is poor in spirit? It's those who know I've got nothing unless I've got God. They feel poor in the inside. I'm nothing unless I've got God. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. And it's not people who are morbid, but it's people who just know, I'm a sinful human being and I need God's help. And then Jesus said, for they shall be comforted. Then he goes on and says, blessed are the meek. That was crazy in a, in a culture which said, which had the Romans and the Jews and that meek was not blessed as far as they were concerned. Victorious and warrior-like was blessed. But Jesus said, no, no. He turned it on the head and said, actually, the meek are the blessed ones. People who know the their, their limitations of their humanity and they submit themselves to God. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In a world that hunger and thirst for everything other than righteousness, Jesus said, no, no, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, blessed are the merciful. Again, the culture Jesus was in was a merciless culture. Mercifulness wasn't seen as a positive trait. And yet Jesus said, merciful people will be shown mercy. And he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, if the world was going to come up with a list of blesseds, 
I guarantee you in every single count, it would be the absolute opposite of what Jesus said. Why? Because Jesus is not talking about the kingdom of this world. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. These are a description of the citizens of heaven. So who is Jesus speaking to when he says, you're the salt of the earth? Because that's the next thing he says after he said those things. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. You're the salt of the earth. Citizens of heaven. People whose foundation and basis for life is heaven, not earth. You're the light of the world. This is amazing. Jesus is speaking to everyone who is connected with him. You see, Jesus said, John 9, 5, he said, I am the light of the world. But now here, in, as we've just read, in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. So who is it? Us or him? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now he says to us, you citizens of heaven, you're the light of the world. Here's the deal. As you have connected with him, then you start to reflect his light in this world. As it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, so you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. It's not that you become progressively lighter and brighter and brighter in your life. The Bible says you already, from the word go, as soon as you become a citizen of heaven, you are light, as bright as it could be. You see, becoming a believer isn't something you just earn by being a good person. It's when God changes your life on the inside. And in that very instant, you become light. You shine. Not with your own luminance, but with God in the inside shining through you into this world that so desperately needs God's light. And I believe, therefore, as you have received light, now you become the transmitter of that light into this world. So the question, what is the solution to a rotting and decaying world? God's solution, well, solution to rotting and decaying meat is salt. God's solution to a rotting and decaying world is citizens of heaven. What is the solution to darkness? It's light. What is the solution to a dark world, morally speaking? The solution to a dark world, morally speaking, is God's light shining through God's people into this world. You know, the way we translate into English this verse we're studying today, in the Greek language, has got a little bit more strength in it. Let me kind of read to you literally how it would read if I was reading the Greek. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. There is no plan B. You're it. We don't make it happen. No one else will. The Greek language emphasizes the exclusivity of this. We are literally the hope. We are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of Edinburgh. We are the light of Edinburgh. Alongside the other great Christians and churches in the city. We're the influencers. We're the hope of the city. You're the hope of your family and your community. That's the way it is. The second thing I want to say is this. Influence the world and don't let the world influence you. 
Jesus said in John 17, verses 14 to 15, this is him praying to the Father. He says, Father, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Remember I said, you're citizens of heaven. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is saying, God's ideal is this, that citizens of heaven would populate earth to be an influence. And his prayer wasn't take them out of the world. You know, many Christians, that's their entire agenda in life. You know, get me out of here, God. You know, they sing those songs about come, Lord, and I want to get out of here. And their prayer isn't your kingdom come, it's your kingdom. I'm coming, they want out. You see, I, I, don't, I don't think your ultimate purpose after becoming a Christian is just get to get to heaven. If we believed your ultimate purpose was to get you to heaven, what we would do when we baptize you is we just hold you down until no more bubbles appear because we'd be helping you in your purpose. But we don't believe that, do we? All right, well, maybe I'm wrong. So maybe next baptism will be a bit more colorful. We'll have some reporters there as well. But no, you know, I, I believe that you have a purpose in earth. So we pull you up coughing and spluttering and we say, go on, live for God, make a difference with your life. Because God has a purpose for you in the here and now. You're not just here to get saved and then escape this world and get to heaven. It's true. (laughs) You're here to make an impact. So we commission you and God commissions you and says, go live for him. Go make an impact. Go bring him glory. Go be an influence. God doesn't want to take you out of the world. And we find that tough. So we're still in this world. We're still getting knocked about by our temptations and weaknesses. And we've still got dumb thoughts from the old life attacking us. And we feel vulnerable. But nevertheless, weak though we feel, we're here to be an influence. It's not like, don't take them out of the world. And Christians have taken this, and what they do is they buy their little compound, and they put barbed wire up, and they load the shotgun, and they have tins of beans in case Jesus returns any moment, and the Holocaust comes. And they tell their kids, kids, we're going to teach you at home, and you're not going to do anything. Don't, don't touch the world. And they, they're exclusive, and they're almost monastic and they withdraw from the world and that was never the emphasis of scripture God's emphasis has always been I'm going to change your life and I'm going to use you to change the world the world changes men by taking them out of their environment Christ changes men by taking the environment out of them and then uses them to change their environment you're the salt of the earth you're the light of the world the fact is for salt to be effective it needs to mingle with the meat it's to affect. The fact is, for light to be effective, it must be distinct from the darkness. So we're in the world, but at the same time, God doesn't want us to be touched by the evil one. Compromise. Jesus says in, in the verses we've read, he says, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp or put it under a, bu- a basket, but put it on the stands that it may give life to all who are in the house. You know, technically, it is impossible to re- remove the saltiness from salt. Technically, it's impossible. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, I think it could happen in one of two ways, what he's talking about. Either it means that he's saying that somehow or another you withdraw from the world. You're no longer affecting the world because you've withdrawn into your little Christian bubble. Or it might mean that you've 
compromise with the world. And it's not that you've become less salty, it's, become, it's that your saltiness has become diluted with grit and dirt and water. And you're no longer having the carrying the strength you should be carrying. It's the only way that I could see that happening. Either that you've withdrawn your influence from touching the world and you become a little Christian in a Christian bubble or that you've become diluted by compromising with the world and the evil one has touched you. And neither is what God intends. Either way, you become a walkover. Jesus said, you'll be trampled under people's feet. Jeremiah 5, sorry, 15, 19 says this, you are to influence them, but they are not to influence you. The third thing I want to say from these verses is this, you've got to live an awesome life for the glory of God. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is different to the religious. Religious people do good works so they can get glory for themselves. Now, we see this all the time in Jesus' life. We see the religious leaders, and Jesus was consistently reprimanding them for going out there, doing things specifically to get the glory from other people. But Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus was saying, a kingdom citizen has one big agenda, the glory of God and the benefit of others. That's the big agenda. That's our agenda as a church. We want to, Destiny Church Edinburgh exists to bring glory to God and benefit to other people. And this is what good deeds from a kingdom citizen will bring glory to the Father. The reality is that for me, this is my biggest prayer. But my life, I find myself praying this more often than anything else. I say, God, today, would you let me, my wife, my kids, bring you glory? And would you use this to benefit other people, God? That's my big prayer. I pray that all the time. I pray all the time. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Life's most persistent and urgent question is this, what are you doing for others? That's real living. You've got over yourself. You're now living for the glory of God and the benefit of others. I'm gonna invite two friends up just now, Chris and Sarah, who are gonna tell us a little bit about uh, what God has stirred them to be doing recently. Uh, Let's hear it for Chris and Sarah as they come. Chris, tell the guys about what has gripped you recently and some of the things you're involved with in the church. Okay, so my name is Chris, and I've been involved in Destiny Angels for the last six, seven months. Quickly explain what Destiny Angels is for the folks who don't know. Uh, Destiny Angels, it's a part of Destiny Church, and they try to help people, try to reach people who who are isolated, who need some help with food, who uh, renovate the flats with painting and even like cleaning the rooms. So that's why, that's what Destiny Angels basically is doing, so... That's how I get involved as well. But at the beginning, I wasn't sure or I, what I want to do really. So I was like every week trying to put this stuff away. But then finally we go to Africa, me and Sarah. And I decided that I want to help poor people. After when we get back from Africa, 
I thought like I'm gonna get involved in Destiny Angels, but then also I thought like there is not that many poor people in Scotland, in this rich and beautiful country. But anyway, I got involved, and I remember asking God, God, why I'm here? And the very next day, we went to help this uh, poor old lady. She was in the hospital, and as we get to her flat, I look into the flat, and the flat was actually looking like some of the places in Uganda, in Africa. It was like really bad condition flat, like holes in the wall and the floor, and the small, small, tiny, dusty bed where she was sleeping. So then I feel like God was telling me, like, now you know why you are here. Now I, now you know. There's the poor people and needy people are all over the world. So that was quite strong for me. So that's what we want to just ask you. You know, get involved in Destiny Angels. Get involved in the church work. You know, try to help people, poor and needy and isolated people all over the world. Not just in the poor countries, but even here in a rich country. Right in your doorstep. That's Chris. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi, hi. Hi, Sarah and baby. Hello. Uh, my name is Sarah. And my name is... Hi. <laughs> Not name it. Uh, I've been helping with Destiny Angels for a while as well. I give one day a week when I come to church and respond to phone calls made to Destiny Angels. And people phone for, di- for different reasons. Usually it's because they have no food, they're hungry. They have no money, their, their benefits are stopped, or they're not getting benefits yet, and they need to put food on the table. So that's when Destiny Angels provide food parcels for them. And one other reason, really popular as well, why people phone is because they, uh, they need someone to come over and help them in renovating their flats. They have no money to hire professional help to, to help in painting, in wallpaper stripping, laying carpets, whatever. But uh, that's when Destiny Angels uh, volunteers go and, like Chris, go and help out. And people normally don't know that Destiny Angels is, a, is an organization based and run by volunteers. So when they, when they get a chance to, to chat to these volunteers, they're amazed, their hearts are touched that actually someone comes over and does it for free, you know, gives their spare time and comes in with a positive attitude and do it because they love Jesus and they, they just want to bless others. So, yeah, even last week, Destiny Angels is getting really busy now. Last week I came to, to help out as well, and there were three cases uh, that we couldn't help with because, you know, the, these people found a while ago, like a few weeks ago, asking for help with renovating their flats, and we couldn't help because we are short of volunteers, especially male volunteers. So if, you, if you're thinking, like Chris, for, to start with, that you don't have any, anything to offer, that you don't have any decorating skills, you know, that's not true, just because you can always learn that, and you can, apart from learning new skills, you can, you can just serve God by, by serving others. Thank you. Very good. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. So I believe we're here to live awesome lives that bring glory to God. The good deeds may shine before men and bring glory to your Father in heaven. And I think you, you will find a resonating in your heart with that. Now, whether you volunteer on one of the official things that the church does, or whether just on your day-to-day life, you make it your big agenda in a big way to impact someone's life. Not so that you get the glory, but so God gets the glory, and so that they get love, and they get benefit. Fourthly, be an active part of an alive church. 
Jesus, in this passage we've been looking at, gives two analogies. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so it gives light to all those in a house. Now, when we, when we think of a lamp, you think of an individual light. When you think of a city, you think of a collective combination of lamps lit in hundreds of little houses everywhere, and the co- combined effect is a big light. Fact is, you can shine yourself, but together, we can shine in a big way. Um, we don't fully get this in, in the Western world with the light pollution we have the cities don't stand out as clearly. But if you're in some parts of the world where the air is clear and there's not so many phosphorus and, and there's, there's darkness, real darkness, and there's not light pollution, then when you have a, a res- residential area or a housing area or a city, it just shines. And you can see it from miles and miles away. I believe we collectively are called to be this thing called church. You and you only are the light of the world. You and you only are the salt of the earth. I believe the church is the hope of the world. I believe that the church is God's plan A, his instrument of change in a world. And tons of people have been put off church because they find in the church are other people. And we're dweebs. And we offend each other. And we don't realize we do it ourselves. We, we blame everyone else. Many people don't go to church anymore because they were hurt. Well, that's okay. Expect it. If you haven't been hurt in this church, you just haven't been around long enough. It will happen. Because there's tons of human beings here. And not one's perfect. Other than myself. <laughs> no, I'm joking you. Everyone will hurt someone, and this is the reality of church, but God uses this rough-at-the-edges, motley crew of people and says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I believe in the high value of church. I want to encourage you to value church. I want to encourage you, if, if you're visiting today and you're not part of a church, go find a great church. This is a good one. Plug in. Plug your life in to what God is investing in. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know what he's doing today? He's building his church. That's what he's doing that's his big agenda. If you look at his to-do list, you'll discover it's all about the church. It's his bride. It's the apple of his eye. It's the precious thing he's coming back for, the people of God. Make it precious in your sight because it's precious in his sight. Be plugged into a local church. Make your life count there, and together you shine. Clay Shirky said this, collective action is different from individual action. Both it's harder to get going, and once it's going, it's harder to stop. Someone asked me last week, Peter, what would you like to see happen in Destiny Church Edinburgh over the next 10 years? And I thought, and, I, and I, this is what I said, I said something like this. I said, we've been reaching hundreds of people. I want to reach thousands of people for the glory of God and for their benefit. We've been a church that's grown numerically, but I want us to be a church that grows in richness and in depth. I want you to be a strong people in God, a blessed people, an overflowing people, an abundant people, a Holy Spirit-filled people, where you don't just hear about the miracles, but you see the miracles. You're the one doing the praying. Things are happening for the glory of God because you're being used by God. A dream of seeing a church of hundreds and eventually thousands of people who will 
impregnate society. I see church, the gathering on a Sunday, as halftime. This isn't the game, right? This is halftime. This is when you have your oranges. This is when you get your Lucasades. The game is Monday to Saturday. That's the game. It's when you're going into your workplace. You come half time, you get your prep talk, get your orange, right, ready to go. Off I go to. Monday comes, right through to Saturday, you're on the field scoring some goals. You've got you to live this life for God. Impact your community. I want to see a church that there's thousands of people inspired on a Sunday, they're part of one big family, they care deeply for each other, and throughout the week they're influencing in our city. And they're influencing in businesses, and they're influencing in politics, and they're influencing in education, and they're influencing uh, in the streets, and they're influencing, they're changing statistics. We're dropping crime rates for the glory of God. Things are happening in our city that bring honor to Him. Our collective impact is huge. Fifthly, we're here to preserve society and hinder decay. That's what salt does, it's a preservation agent, it hinders decay. Do you know, secular historians during the 18th century speak about the influence of John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and a few of the other reformers. These guys, John Wesley traveled quarter of a million miles by horse and by foot. Now, if you carded a quarter of a million miles, you'd be impressed. Yet in John Wesley's lifetime, he did quarter of a million miles on foot and by horseback. He preached 46,000 sermons all over the UK sometimes to small groups, sometimes to thousands. Secular historians say that the influence of these preachers totally transformed Britain. And it literally diverted Britain from going down the route that happened in France, the French Revolution. That Britain was saved from a revolution by what? By some nobodies who just happened to be the salt of the earth. By people who were courageous enough to let their light shine. The fact is that we are here to preserve society. Helmet in California had a revival where the churches erupted in growth and through the, short, through the few years where that took place and the churches grew, the drug trade in that area, which had previously been very prevalent there, dropped by 75%. Matthew Barnett from the Dream Center in Los Angeles, we're sending a team of folks from here to the Dream Center next summer. If you want to be involved in that team, Go to the information point, they'll, they'll let you know how to get connected with that. We're going to send a team of people out there to help in the streets of LA, work among the, gang, the gangs, among the prostitutes, among the homeless, making a difference there. And the, Matthew Barnett said that in the last three years, in our neighborhoods, we've seen crime rates drop by 73%. A few years ago, George Bush, when he was in power, went to visit uh, the Dream Center. And he said that this is a model for the whole of the US. Salt of the earth, preserving society. Robert Reed's social worker from Castle Milk in Glasgow, contacted Destiny Church in Glasgow and said, I just have to let you know that our office is now quiet because you as a church are picking up the reins of so many social problems in our area. That's testimony. That brings glory to God. You might think, well, what can I do to make an impact? You've got to start somewhere. It's like the kid on the beach. The kid's standing there getting little starfish have been washed up everywhere. And there's a little kid bending down and grabbing a starfish and throwing it in and grabbing another one and throwing it back. And an adult came along and said, son, do you not realize there's so many thousands of starfish here? You're not going to make a dent on this. You're not going to help them. And he picked up a little starfish and said, I'm going to help this one. And he threw it back. 
cocky little rascal. But he's right. You can make a difference just in one person's life tomorrow, today, with a phone call, a letter, a visit, some cash, a food, meal, whatever. Do something. Love. And then you can do it in big scale as well. You could initiate a project. Destiny Angel started in someone's heart. All the initiatives we've got going on in our church started as a thought from God dropped into someone's heart. And they just went ahead and said, I'm going to take time. When I, I know, I, no one's got the time, but I'm going to make the time. I'm going to produce something that will bring glory to God and benefit other people. So we have to preserve society and hinder it from decay. P. Kane said this, you can curse the darkness or light a candle. The choice is yours. And sixthly, tell people about your great God. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, citizens of heaven, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you have been saved, you are now heaven bound. That is significantly good news. You've been forgiven. You are in relationship with the God who created everything. You can't get better than that. You have a message. And in your fumbling way, don't hide your light. Let it shine. Tell people, I met God. I think he's amazing. I think you should think about God. I'm not saying force it in people's throats, but I mean authentically live a great life in front of them, love them to bits, and tell them confidently about your great God. What people cringe about is when people present God in a very cringy way. But God is not cringeworthy. God is incredible. You don't need to make any apologies for him. He's great. You just tell people about him. And God is also well able to speak for himself. Present God in a credible way to your friends. Tell them about God. Invite them to church. Share with them in your fumbling way your faith. Malcolm Smith said this. We have one function in life. To be manifestors of his life to the world. Only when we are living his life are we truly living our own. This is the reason for our creation. Why on earth are we on earth? We are on earth to be influencers. You're here to be salt because you're valuable. valuable. Because you're here to preserve. You're here to flavor. You're here to live a good taste in people's mouths. You're here to be light in order to dispel the darkness. I'm not an optimist when it comes to where our world's going. But I am an optimist when it comes to God's plan for human beings. And I believe that God because of his love for human race, not only came himself and died on the cross, but now commissions us as citizens of heaven who have been saved by that cross to now influence our world in as many ways as we possibly can. That's why we're here. Today, you've just heard your purpose in life. Let's pray. God, we want to say, first of all, thank you. That you're a God who would come into this world And like light into the darkness, you came in order to rescue us. God, we want to worship you today and say thank you, God, that you're a God who cares intimately and deeply for every human being on this earth. 
God, I pray that we will know that. We will grasp the depth and the amazingness of that. God, we, we hear in these words that we've just read a, a very strong commission to us. You've told us that us and us only are the salt and the light of this world. God, we realize this, this world is decaying and it's in darkness and therefore it needs salt and light. And today we rise to the challenge and say, God, we don't want to mingle and compromise and water down our effectiveness And equally, we don't want to shy back and retreat from the world. But we want to be in among precious human beings, touching their lives, sharing with them the goodness of God, demonstrating with good deeds the love of God. Okay, just take a moment in God's presence. Just to pray back to God your response. a few things you've heard today have provoked something in you. Just talk to God about that just now. Now, I felt God say there's someone here with a pain at the top of their chest, at the top of their, their stomach area. A, a really intense pain there. Just at the end of the service, as we close, there'll be opportunity for people to pray for you. Just come forward to the front. I believe God wants to heal you. There's also someone here at the back of their eyes. There's a sharp pain there. And you're concerned about what that is. And you just know there's a lot of pain at the back of your eyes area. God wants to heal you, strengthen you you also come forward. Anyone else who's ill, please come forward. We'd love the privilege of praying with you. In a moment, we're going to close the service, but just while we're all praying, I want to give you this opportunity today. If you're here today and you know, do you know what? I'm not in connection with God. I don't know this God you're describing, Peter, but I want to know him then this is the truth. I believe Jesus died on the cross for you. I believe he rose again the third day. And he alone is the savior that can offer you eternal life and a relationship with God. If that's you today and saying, Peter, I need to know God, then I invite you just as now to pray a prayer with me, just quietly under your breath, just repeat this after me. And let this be the prayer from the bottom of your heart. Pray, dear Lord God, Thank you for your incredible love for me. Thank you, you love me so much you were willing to pay the ultimate price for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven and changed forever. Today I accept what you did for me on the cross. I ask you for your forgiveness and I ask you that I will be yours from now on. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. 
I believe you're alive now. And I choose to make you the Lord of my life. God, from now on, I'm going to live my life for you, for your glory. Thanks for hearing my prayer and accepting me today as your child. Amen. Keep your eyes closed just for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love the privilege of praying for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, if you prayed that prayer, if you made that commitment, just while we're all praying, just quickly raise your hand and say, Peter, I prayed that prayer. Is anyone like that today? anyone like that today you prayed that prayer you made that commitment to follow God just quickly raise your hand I want to pray for you let's wait for one more moment is there anyone else anyone like this today you prayed and you said Peter I make that commitment to follow the Lord just quickly put your hand up you did make that commitment, please come forward at the end. One of the leaders would love a chance to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Citizens of heaven, we're here to be salt. We're here to be light. We're here to influence this precious world for the glory of God. Let's go for it.